Welcome to the In The Zone podcast with Mike Ryder and Josh Hughes. This podcast may contain swearing, plus it will be filled with lots of interesting chat. All the views are expressed are our own and are not those of our institutions or employers. You're welcome to share your own views in the comment box on the website. And if you like what you hear, please like, share and subscribe. And you can find out more on our website, innerzonepodcast.com. Or on Spotify, iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also like us on Facebook. So, without further ado, here's this week's episode. So, hello and welcome to the In The Zone podcast with me, Mike Ryder. And me, Josh Hughes. In today's episode, we're going to talk about technology and human responsibility and how the two interact. So, this has a lot of that ties in with Josh's own research and part of my own research as well, actually, in when we're thinking about the relationship between humans and machines. So... To kick us off for this particular podcast, I'd like to draw everyone's attention to, a, to a, an incident that happened in the Premier League, um, it was several weeks ago now, in which the Hawkeye technology, um, which, which, was, which is used in football to decide whether or not a ball crosses the, the goal line, um, had an error in it. And because of this, the, the, the error that, that occurred in this particular game between um, Sheffield United and Aston Villa, meant that the Hawkeye technology was blocked just when the ball crossed the line in this instance. And so actually what happened was a goal that was perfectly good wasn't given because the technology failed. And so what was particularly interesting about this case was that there are actually other means of of also determining whether the ball could cross the line or not. But in this instance, the, the, the the human processes were such that Hawkeye was seen as being the only technology which should be used to determine whether the ball crossed the line or not. And so the video assistant referee, or VAR, which we've I think we've mentioned a few times before in this podcast, wasn't used to, to sort of overrule the process of the Hawkeye technology. And obviously this, this has sort of many different implications. And also there's a question of, well, at what point does a human step in to, to overrule what was clearly, for everyone watching the game, it was sort of the, the slow motion camera replays. What at what point should a human actually step in to overrule the technology that has clearly, in this case, actually made a mistake? So yeah, I think um, I think it's, it's it's also quite a clear example of um, the sort of. I suppose there's an issue where when it comes to automated, automated or autonomous or let's just say decision making technology, oh, data driven technologies, let's say. Um, is it an assistive tool to, for a human being to make a decision or is it a machine that's going to make a decision for you? Mm. Um, and in this situation, it seems that Hawkeye has been used to make decisions for the referee and therefore those decisions or choices that it makes are, 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 um, are unchallengeable mm. because everybody, no, everybody can quite clearly see that the video assistant referee should have been able to overrule that decision. Um, and give the goal. So it seems like this is a an assistive tool that has been given um, decision-making power. And you know, when it comes to responsibility for that, I, I think there's, for me there's two quite clearly distinct approaches to responsibility or accountability um, between sort of to, assistive tools and decision-makers. Or decision-making mm. machine. Um, 
I think it's quite the the best example of this is actually self-driving cars. Or for me, it's the best example. Okay. Because um, if you think about, so Tesla, um, they have a function called autopilot. And what, an, I mean, autopilot makes it sound like you could get in it and plug in a destination. It could take you from A to B without any, any um, input from yourself. Um, but it's not actually that good, really. It's, it's an advanced form of cruise control. So if you get onto the motorway, you can flick it on and it'll, it's good enough that you can stay within the, in your lane that you're already in. Um, maybe change lanes depending on, on the quality of, of the um, equipment and kind of how simple the situation is and, and you know, maintain an appropriate speed and all of those type of things. Really, yeah, so really it's kind of an advanced form of cruise control. Mm. Um, and sort of the responsibility for that quite clearly stays with the driver as cruise control does already. Um, or I suppose it's driver in inverted commas in some situations, but um, you know, quite clearly, the per- the person who's, who's sat behind the wheel, who turned the autopilot or the cruise control on, um, can be held responsible for it because they make they you know made those decisions to uh, to use it, and because they're sat in the driver's seat, you know, they have an ability to override all of those all of the choices made by the system. Um, and so kind of responsibility is quite easy really in that situation because you can the most appropriate person would be the driver and it's quite easy to to ascribe that responsibility or accountability to them um so that's quite good for decision making tools not sorry assistive tools to help with decision help help person make a decision because the the cruise control or the autopilot is assisting the driver to do the driving um whereas if you flip it to autonomous vehicles so where you could literally get in, plug in a destination, and it will take you from A to B without any further input. And this is what um, Google Cars are trying to make um, and a few others. So because the human being has no input on it, there's no, um, so in, in, very, in some of these cars, there's not even like an emergency brake button for a person to hit. Um, it's literally just a, a chair that you sit in and you, you're just a passenger. Mm. So in that situation, um, all of the choices to be made by the system are, um, you know, programmed into it by its by its developers and by its manufacturer. So for me, it's quite obvious that the or the most obvious person to um, take responsibility would be the programmers or the developers or the company who are going to make it, who make the the product and, and therefore make all of the decide on all the choices that it's going to make. You know how it's going to react to. Um, traffic lights to different weather conditions to different road conditions different you know what happens if someone walks out in front of them you know we've talked about the moral machine before um you know all of those is all of those choices that the car has to make are all have all been pre the outcome of all of those choices that the car will make are all predetermined by someone who has programmed the answer um or has you know written a machine learning algorithm to um to a particular way that's going to come up with an answer and so for me the most obvious yeah as i say sort of the most obvious entities to be responsible are the developers and the manufacturers um because there's not that element of control by a driver there in fact there isn't a driver there's just passengers yeah so the expectation is that it is mainly i'm, I'm going to say mainly the responsibility of the 
um, manufacturer, as you say, but obviously they can't account for all situations in all cases, can they? And I think that might be one of the things that's coming in here with the Hawkeye example as well, because we were chatting just before we recorded that this particular incident is sort of like a, a one in a million incident. I mean, you use this technology so much, then Hawkeye themselves said, okay, we've we've had ten, tens of thousands of hours of of games and never had an issue, but there's always going to be one exception, isn't there? And as, as with the, the autonomous cars example that you're talking about. Yeah. Um, and I suppose then that comes down to, um, you know, is it a genuine mistake? In which case it's an accident. Right. Um, and I've noticed there's quite a lot of, um, in lots of writing about technology and, and responsibility and accountability, whatever, um, lots of people forget that accidents happen. Some seemingly, <laughs> which is quite interesting. Um, you know, there's no, there's no space for you know a, an honest and legitimate accident to happen in, in lots of writing. Um, and I think that's a mistake, really, because, um, well, accidents happen. You know, despite the best intentions of of people, you know, accidents do happen. I mean, I, you know, you and I are both responsible drivers, and. I could quite easily, unfortunately, you know, accidents could happen to, to either of us. And, you know, we might, I don't know, hit a dog or something like that. And that would be, you know, very sad, but it would be an accident. And, um, you know, you'd, it's morally and um, legally agreed that people shouldn't be held responsible for accidents. Um, so, you know, if we think about the Hawkeye situation, you know, if it was an accident, a pure accident, then, you know, that would seem to be, there wouldn't seem to be a need for accountability to be ascribed because, you know, everybody acted um, in good faith to the best mm. of their ability. Um, you know, and it's just one of them things, really. Yeah. Um, I, was going to, I, was, I was just going to say then, so in this case, it would be a question of, well, we have to just be sure that the company has done everything in its power to act properly, as you say, to to minimise the, the sort of chances of things going wrong. I mean, obviously, we're only talking about football here. It's not like a life and death situation in an autonomous car or yeah. like with the weapon systems that you talk about. Though, obviously, the issue then is how the technology is actually being used, because that's that's probably the bit the bigger question mark here when it comes to Hawkeye versus VAR versus the dozens of officials you've got at these matches. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think for me, it's that this, um, you know, Hawkeye here, is being used for decision making where you know, really it should be used for as an assistive tool because um well there isn't what's the need to give it total decision making power there isn't any the the total decision making power is, has always been with the referee um you know the, the reason that goal line technologies of various types were ever introduced is because the referee couldn't always see the ball go yeah. you know go past the line um or you know the sight, the linesman couldn't see it, or whatever. Um, so you know the reason for having these sort of go-line technologies is is just to, is to assist them, to help them to get to make the right call. You know that's why it's always that's why it's always been. Mm. Um, well, that was the, that's always the argument for for creating these technologies. And so to take what should be an assistive tool and to um, give it decision-making power is to put it in the wrong um, in the wrong context in the wrong situation or the wrong position because um you know if, if as, as some listeners will know my thesis is all about um autonomous weapon systems killer robots 
Um, and you know when there's sort of something that Heather Roth calls um, functional autonomy. And what that is is if you were to take um, a weapon system that can select targets. Um, so you know the the idea would be that say you have um, I know you, you say you stick a system onto uh, a fighter jet and it can pick targets out on the ground uh, that the system <clears throat> is programmed to uh, recognize as targets. So this might be your know, enemy tanks or it might be, um, you know, if you're fighting, say, say ISIS have lots of um, pickup trucks with, with machine guns on the back. Um, so maybe it's targets, maybe it's um, programmed to recognize those sorts of vehicles. So, you know, pickup trucks with large guns on the back. Well, if it's programmed to recognize that, you could quite easily um, have a situation where it's just recognizing a pickup truck, but it, you know it makes a mistake. It doesn't quite have the, it doesn't have the resolution in the camera to make that, um, make an accurate assessment. But it, you know, it thinks it's got it right or whatever. Um, you know, basic, fundamentally, it gets it wrong. Well, the human being should be the person who says yes or no to engaging that target, and so should be kind of the gatekeeper to the attack. Mm. And what Heather Roth sort of suggests is that because there's this idea of automation bias. And automation bias is where, we've probably discussed this a few times on the podcast, but automation bias is where people trust computers and machines more than they trust themselves. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, That's what I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, there's lots of examples of people who get in a car, stick their sat-nav sat on their GPS, um, and they follow it to wherever it says it's going to go. Um, and there's many examples of people who do this even where the GPS tells, tells them to go somewhere dangerous. So people who've driven off cliffs, driven through rivers, um, driven into the desert, you know, various other things. You know, yesterday I was driving and um, ended up down a, a pretty narrow, horrible to drive country path that I wouldn't have gone down if I, if I knew it was there. I would have gone, you know, gone a different way. Um, you know, that's quite, a, that's quite a benign example. But, um, you know, as I say, kind of, there's, lots of, there's lots of examples where things have gone quite wrong because um, all we do is we blindly follow, follow what the computer says. So if you're the situation that Heather Roth talks about functional autonomy is what would she, you know, the, the, the system that is designed to select targets and the human being is designed or not designed, the position of the human being is to confirm and engage targets. And if they just push the button to say yes every time because of automation bias or they don't really care, well, they're not really that bothered. You, you, get, you get functional autonomy. So essentially, that system that is an assistive tool that should be, um, you know, the whole the whole weapon system as a whole should be used as semi-autonomous, meaning that the human being has a significant input in it. it uh, you know, the human being is deciding on, on engagement of targets. That system is, for all intents and purposes, because the person is just pressing yes every time, that system is functionally autonomous fully autonomous so it's the, there's no real critical reflection there's no real um thinking about whether this is a target or there isn't um and for, and for yeah what heather roth calls this functional autonomy essentially what is um what should be semi-autonomous is being is functioning as if it was fully autonomous the human being in the loop um is you know functionally worthless there's no point in them being there yeah because they're not really adding anything so when you can think about this use of um, Hawkeye here, you can think about that as being functionally autonomous because, well, actually, it's not even functionally autonomous. It's being put in a position of, of autonomy, really. Mm. It's being used for decision-making when really it should be that assistive tool. There should be 
um, a human being having critical reflection, real thought about, is this right? You know, what do I think about this? You know, you know, human beings have many fallibilities and create errors of their own. And, and as we know, you know, as how many accidents happen on the road because of human error, um, you know, and how many goals have been misjudged by a referee because they couldn't quite see it or they didn't um, understand what was really happening. You know, happens many times. But you know, the the point of Hawkeye is to improve that. Um, is to improve the rate at which referees and linesmen and other officials kind of get it right. Um, you know, it shouldn't be to replace them because that replacement leads to other errors. As, as yeah. you know, this is a perfect example. Um, and part of that, part of those errors are obviously due to um, you know human beings making mistakes when they um, are kind of setting it up. I mean, sort of the the, the error here came because came from sort of seven cameras on each goal, but each of the cameras was obscured by various, by players, linesmen, goalposts, whatever. So there's an error there about how it was set up. But, you know, that error shouldn't have um, real effect because that error should have been um, stopped by a human controller, by, you know, the video assistant referee or whoever. Um, I'm sure you have to say, right, Hawkeye didn't buzz, but that's clearly a goal. Mm. It's, yeah. Um, that seems to be the issue here is that it's it's being used as a as a decision making machine rather than an assistive tool yeah and I, I think there's an element like you say with this automation bias where we expect the machine to be right all the time and because it's right 99 out of 100 out of 100 times you, the assumption is that it, it must actually be correct again and so therefore as you say there's a temptation to remove your own critical input from that process i suppose in a way because we don't like to be blamed for things, so it's easier to blame a, a machine than it is to blame a, another human being, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I suppose for me, you know, if, if you if you are to blame a machine, you know, a, a machine is a is a lifeless and soulless artifact object. Um, so for me, you can't shift blame to a machine because it's you can't blame a machine. You can only blame, um, you know, an entity with with personality. So you know, you're really what you do, when you when you shift blame to a machine, you're really shifting blame to the programmer or to the manufacturer of that machine and saying, well, they messed up. Or, or in this situation, I suppose you could you could pass you could you could in passing the blame to the machine, you're really passing it to the people who set up all the cameras, those seven cameras that didn't track the ball. Yeah, you're passing it to them and saying, well, um, their decisions about how they place the cameras, you know, that's what they they, they messed up. That's what that's how they. That's why it's gone wrong. I suppose, in a way, Hawkeye have said that, haven't they? That's that's why. Yeah. Um, that's their explanation: is that right? We messed up. They took. They've taken responsibility for it. Um, well, it's probably a little bit unfair, though, wasn't it? Really, because okay, it's good of them to say that, but really, the actual issue is with the humans. Yeah, and I think again, again, it kind of it links back with this um, assistive tool or decision-making machine, because when it comes to autonomous cars. Which, as I've sort of said, you know, they are kind of the 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 best example of a of a machine that makes all of the that applies all of the choices of its programmers. Um, you know, Google, I think Volvo, I think Mercedes, have all said, if our self-driving autonomous car crashes and it's our fault, we'll take responsibility. They've said that in advance of any crashes that might happen. Right, that's just dangerous, they, isn't it? Well, I suppose it could be, but. Um, I suppose it could, it, it could be financially 
difficult for them if, if they you know make cars that crash a lot but i think it's absolutely the right choice because they're they have their, their developers and their programmers have all of the control about how the machine is going to make decisions um and it's sort of i get that i get this feeling that hawkeye have kind of taken that same approach they've said it's our machine that's making decisions and we can we're going to take responsibility for it um sort of and as i've said sort of the issue is that actually this isn't a machine that should be treated as an autonomous machine it should be treated as semi-autonomous as a as a decision-making tool as, mm. as a assistive tool um you know to help a person make make the right decision um and so in that situation i think really it comes back to kind of the, the you know the that idea of responsibility that i said about tesla you know tesla where it's really the autopilot function is really advanced cruise control you know the, the driver is responsible for it and responsible for putting it on for turning it off for intervening where necessary um and so here you know really responsibility should lie with the person who um can you know approve or reject decisions of the the choices made by hawkeye um the problem is of course is that the way in which the policies and the way in which it's set up hawkeye is, is used in this in these situations um is that the, there isn't a person there to say no that's wrong mm. um, i mean sorry i was just going to cut in because i was just thinking think about previous podcasts we we're talking about there's i think there's an interesting capitalist imperative in this as well because hawkeye obviously wants to be trusted as, as, a, as a company and they want other people to use their technology and they want to be seen as the go-to company when it comes to assessing things like snicks when it comes to wickets in cricket and um uh if you think about the tennis as well because yeah, hawkeye's yeah. yeah hawkeye's famously used in tennis and so for that reason obviously they want they're taking the blame in this count because they want people to see them as being really sort of the, the top of the the billing when it comes to this technology and then thinking about the tesla thing i was just thinking that well actually what happens is tesla wants to be seen as being the most um sort of technologically advanced and so therefore there's a marketing element here as well to which people are perhaps misattributing responsibility to the technology because the te te tesla goes out of its way to be seen as so high tech and so sort of at the forefront so maybe there's an element here as well to which um, in that case, maybe humans are misattributing things to technology because we want the technology to be this sort of amazing sort of panacea that can deal with all our problems when really actually it's never going to be perfect, is it? Yeah, I mean, I think, as you say, there is kind of that capitalist imperative to make products sound um, better than they are. Um, I think this is sort of totally unscientific, but for me, you know, I've not done like a big survey, but I've noticed there's lots of things or lots of statements put out by technology companies, and there have been for several years, where, um, where yeah, where they make this, um, where they make bold claims about what their technology can do. You know, when it comes to weapon systems, there's a few companies have, have made claims about weapons essentially being autonomous. Um, you're being able to both select and engage targets. Um, and then when you really dig into what these systems can do, you know, it's nothing like that. It's 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 often it's it's that assistive tool. Um, mm. um, but it seems to be particularly pernicious in sort of te with technology. Um, you know, how many times have we sort of heard about an AI system that's going to revolutionise the world? You know, I mean, 
um, OpenAI just released a program GPT GPT three, and we spoke about GPT two a few weeks ago mm. um, in relation to sort of disinformation and things like that. Um, you know, and there's an article that I saw. Really, I think it was Tech Week or something like that. Um, you know, is this the first artificial general intelligence? You know, people thinking about whether this is a human level um, system, and I mean, of course, it isn't. Because it's not, it's it's impossible to do. It's impossible to program lots of things that are um, essential to human life, um, or being a human being. So, and I think, I suppose, in a lot of ways, it, I don't. I, I'm not quite sure why, but it it does seem to be particularly pernicious in with technology. And I wonder if there's sort of it's something more than the capitalist imperative, um, just to make you know good marketing. I wonder if there's sort of something more about misunderstanding what you're building in a way because i mean um, I, I often think if i, if I, if I might just continue what i was the, sorry, the train, sorry. But, um you know lots of computer scientists like to talk about or some of them i'm thinking of um max tegmark you know talk about um systems being alive or approaching being alive and sort of you know i mentioned sort of the assessing gpt3 as if it's about agi and stuff um and for me, it kind of comes, you know, whenever I read these sorts of things, it always, for me, just seems like they misunderstand what they're comparing. You know, I remember reading, you know, Max Tegmark talks about, um, I think he talks about consciousness as though that's, if, if, if a machine can achieve consciousness, that's it. That, that means it's alive. But the way in which he understands consciousness is I think it's about subjective experience. Um if this, is, this is if I'm remembering his book correctly. Um, but then, then again, the way he talks about subjective experience is just, well, you know, a, a machine that has a unique experience, referring to that as subjective, well, that's not, that's not really quite the same as um, a subjective experience because, you know, you and I could experience the same things for the rest of our lives. If that, if that were part, you know, if there was a glitch in reality and, and we... Um, traded places or whatever um and somehow ex- whatever somehow some sci-fi thing happened and we somehow experienced everything exactly the same for our rest of our lives well we would still um interact with things differently because we have different we have brought different experiences to this point um i'm sort of getting a bit off tangent but um you know i think often there's a crucial quite crucial misunderstanding at the core of what tech people think they're doing and what they how they approach things um and i think it's really a lack of education in terms of humanities um and and social sciences about like what's the meaning of all this stuff what does it mean to create a a system that can do xyz and what does xyz mean for society or for people um Mm. you know are we really creating a, a system that's alive or are we just creating something that's really good at pattern recognition um, and how, how we you know, applied that pattern recognition in such a way that um, kind of gives the illusion of something being alive. That's often, for me, for me that, that's what often a lot of these extraordinary claims come down to. Um, and I suppose to bring it back to kind of to Hawkeye, you know, probably, you, I mean, I, I don't want to, to attribute things to the kind of the engineers behind it, but if you could imagine somebody building a similar system and saying this system will... Um, will tell you whether or not it's a goal or it's you know or the, the wickets being touched or you know the tennis ball is in or out 
Um, and really, it isn't doing that. What it's doing is saying um, it's going to measure whether the data that it tracks from the ball, you know, whether that matches up with the data it's tracking from the line or the wicket or whatever. Um, and actually, that's you know, it spits out a number that somebody at Hawkeye or you know, a similar companies are saying this number of you know, whether it's say it's plus plus five mil, you know, because that's across the line, you know, that to them, they're saying that that means that they've got that it's a goal or the, the ball is in or it's out or whatever. Um, when actually, really, the system is reporting a number. And that's what it. That's all it is. It's, it's yeah. only reporting another. The meaning behind whether it's in or out, it's a goal or it's not, or it's wicked or it's not, or whatever. That meaning is attributed by a human being, and we have, and then these companies are embedding that meaning within their products as though, uh, as though it's the final word. Mm. And here we have a situation where the final word, as though it's the final word, you know, from the system, uh, is clearly wrong. So, um, you know, it kind of, to me, it kind of comes back to, you know, what we should have really are systems that, yeah, go come back to being assistive tools, you know, when they're clearly not, um, let's be honest, advanced enough to make the decision, the, the, the right choice in all situations. Um, you know, it should be an assistive tool and there should be a human being able to override things. This is, this is, um, I suppose it's quite basic, really. Yeah. I, I kind of can't, I kind of can't, can't see why anybody in the Premier League or the FA or whoever across any football league or whatever, UEFA would say, yeah, we're going to, you know, Hawkeye's going to make the decision. It's not, not a human being. That's really, that's really, really strange to me, particularly after kind of the history of like, um, you know, Set Blatter being like, no football, football should all be about the referee's decision he was he was very against sort of video assistance stuff because he thought that you know the power all power should reside with the referee and i'm quite um i suppose you can see it as a reaction to move away from that position to you know from set black's kind of um difficult kind of presidency should we say of, of fifa but um it just seems so strange to me that to go the completely other way when you know there's so many issues with it, and maybe it's because we we interact with these issues quite regularly. But um, I mean, that would just seem so obvious to me that that's, that's the thing is that these issues seem so yeah, obvious to I, me that I kind of can't um, understand why people don't get them. But um, you know, that's that's probably um, I suppose it's an effect of just having uh, been dealing with these issues for so long, isn't it? That they become quite normal, but. Anyway, I've, I've done enough rambling. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, there's so many sort of issues to unpack from this. Probably go beyond the actual podcast itself. But one one thing that sort of strikes me really with this whole issue is 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 how these questions tie up to a, a broader way that we as a sort of human society interact with technology and the concept of science and the concept of progress. And there's this idea that obviously technology is getting better and better, and so it will do better and better things. And this idea that maybe technology might one day replace the human or that it can do things as well as or better than us. And as you say, it links with this. There is this capitalist imperative, I guess, because obviously people are going to want to sell their latest product and they're going to want to show that it's a better iteration of the thing that came before. 
But it, it was really interesting, I think, when you were talking there about the referees and you're saying, well, the fact that there should be someone to override these decisions. The funny thing is, of course, is that there is someone who can override those decisions. But what we've got is a situation that we've come full circle, really, where that person doesn't feel empowered enough to be able to make that decision because the technology is such that it's there in their eyes, at least, to make that decision. So, again, it just comes back to this idea of, well, what's the technology for and what does it actually do? I mean, I, th I think there's also this case maybe that as a, as a sort of species, we're, we're, we're quite guilty of some sort of shorthand when it comes to thinking about the technology, because you were saying about what the technology actually does in terms of measurements and, of course, in terms of the, the criteria within which it can perform those measurements. But, of course, on a day to day level, we don't make those we don't make those um, assumptions in our heads. We just think, OK, it's doing the job that it's 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 been sort of bought to do. So it's measuring whether the ball crosses the line or not. And it's that shorthand, I think, which is where this blurring comes in, because the day to day user doesn't need to know all the, all the, the intricacies that the engineer needs to, or the sort of designer needs to know. They just need to know whether the technology is working, whether the kettle is boiling the water, whether the toaster is working, whether the oven's cooking, whether this sort of technology that we're told measures whether the ball crosses the line or not, whether it actually does that. But obviously, technology is far more complicated than that. And the things that technology does is far more complicated than that. Even while, it, as it may be on the practical day-to-day -day level, I don't need to know the intricacies of the sort of the, the sort of the proton, um, the the sort of the the, um, the sort of the water molecules being heated up within my kettle. I don't need to know that that's going on because I just assume that it's going on and that it's all fine. And as you say, this 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 is what this reveals really is the sort of complexities that underlie what 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 are quite important assumptions that we make on a day-to-day -day level. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think you're right in the sense that, yeah, say you boil the kettle, you don't need to know about what's happening to the water molecules, but um, you know, you do have to know that it gets hot mm. because you don't want to touch kind of the, the element, um, you know, and burn yourself. Um, in the same way that, you know, I don't really understand in, in detail about how the internal combustion engine works. So I've got an idea, but um, you know, and, and most people probably don't have a clue. But you know they understand that their car moves, um, and they understand that their car moving has implications for the for um, you know pedestrians if they mount the curb or they don't stop for a pedestrian or whatever. Um, but so I think there's, there's sort of some you know, there's a level of of knowledge about technologies that is reasonable to have and people would expect to have, um, and you know whether it and I think. With this Hawkeye stuff, I think it's reasonable to to expect people to, you know, know that it's just measuring whether a ball has crossed a you know a, a line or whatever via camera, um, and that um, you know it's making that decision, it's making that choice, or it's, it's just giving the result of whether whether it's recorded that. It doesn't necessarily have to understand the numbers, obviously. So, but the person dealing with the machine doesn't have to deal with the numbers but um you know i think there's this we can we can make an, a, an expectation of sort of a reasonable level of knowledge i think yeah um, but i mean so my point was just that we don't necessarily assume that they will know the intricacies that might stop it from working for example in this case because that's obviously what the what the issue is well yeah but i mean i don't know because i think if it, if it comes to all the cameras in this in, in the, if, you know if we're talking about this particular case i think 
the seven cameras, you, you, you would say it's ex exceedingly unlikely that all, all seven cameras would be obscured at the same time, but you could probably expect that. I think that would be reasonable to say you would know that that could happen. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, I take the point that it's, it's, I suppose really it comes down to what, when we talk about, or when we think about people having a reasonable amount of knowledge about something, you know, what's, what's reasonable to have in mm. a situation? Um, and how detailed does it need to be? Because I mean, I've, I've sort of written about deep learning algorithms and stuff like that, which um, uh, to properly understand them is, is potentially beyond the ability of human beings to understand. So, you know, it would be, it wouldn't be reasonable to expect somebody to understand that type of algorithm. But, um, you know, I think expecting, I think expecting people to understand roughly how the technologies work. And I mean, I, you can't really prescribe how much somebody would need to know because it would have to depend on a case-by-case -case basis about each technology. But um, I think there should be sort of an expectation about how um, people are going to use technologies in important situations. And, you know, football is obviously, as we've said, it's not life and death, but it's important to people who are watching it. Um, so I think there should be sort of that expectation really yeah. about how technologies work and that people are expected to understand that um you know i mean when you know when you have your driving test you're expected to know you know where the oil goes and the water goes and all that kind of stuff in your in your in your engine um you know and you're also expected to be able to keep your car at a reasonable level of condition you know in order to pass an mot um you know to be able to spot something that's gone that's gone wrong in order to get it fixed so that it's not dangerous to other road users um yeah, again, I think it comes down to sort of what's what's reasonable with sort of data-driven technologies is um, perhaps for us who already understand these sorts of things is, is, you know, it's not that far for us to be able to understand how specific systems work. I mean, we've already guessed about how Hawkeye might work, but somebody who isn't very experienced with it might, yeah, might struggle, but, um, you know, what's reasonable for them to know um, is, I suppose, it's an education question, isn't it? But um, yeah, I think I think you know there's some training that goes along with all new technology, at least an instruction manual or booklet. So I think expecting people to to understand sort of you know roughly how things work, I think is is quite okay. I don't think that's that's unreasonable to expect. No, yeah, I mean, of, of course, I mean, I, I completely agree with you there. I think the question is just where you draw that line as to how far you need to know what is acceptable. Yeah, I think absolutely. For this, obviously, the case being that if you're a referee of a high-profile football match, you should really have that knowledge of what what are the exception cases where the technology isn't close to foolproof and obviously what this has exposed is that again that the, the maybe perhaps the training and the human element isn't quite up to scratch really um, so it's not so much a failing of the technology as it is actually really a failing of understanding on part of the officials yeah i think so and i think yeah as we as we sort of mentioned a few times well understanding of of how the technology should be used yeah um you know as an assistive tool rather than a decision-making system yeah 100 percent. yeah i think that's probably a nice place for us to i think so i think we seem to have covered everything <laughs> to an end well we yeah we covered the main things yeah of course but obviously these are interesting topics and these are this is one of our our sort of things that we like to come back to really isn't it because it touches yeah. on so many different things that we're both interested in um yeah well um that was really interesting so uh thank you very much thank you thank you for listening to the in the zone podcast with mike Ryder and josh hughes for more podcasts and interesting chat visit in the zone podcast.com